So I've never heard one, someone say, I wish if there's one stage in my life I could go back to, I wish I could go back to middle school. <laughs> I mean, some of you may have been seriously crushing it back in middle school when it comes down to, uh, you know, the, the squeaky voice maybe you had or uh, the awkward moments at the middle school dance that maybe some of you had or, or the acne or, or whatever you may have experienced as a middle schooler. I've never heard someone say, man, I wish I could go back to middle school. But, but one of the things, one of the reasons why I bring this up today, and I'll come back to that a little bit more in a few moments, is we just had 205 middle and high school students from all three of our locations, along with their leaders, go to Big Stuff Camps at Panama City Beach, Florida. And we have a picture of that. So check this out up here on the screens, maybe. Uh, yeah, there it is. That is incredible. Does that excite you guys? Yeah, that's worth clapping for. We uh, oftentimes get jaded when it comes to the next generation because we hear a lot of negatives, but we have a church that believes in the next generation, and uh, we, we send and fund ministry to middle and high school students and, and send them to Big Stuff Camps at Panama City Beach every single summer. And it's been an incredible experience to watch um, these kids take next steps. I need to also let you know that we had 23 baptisms of kids while we were there. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. And, and three leaders. So despite the fact that middle school can be an extremely awkward and um, the time in life where people don't want to go back to, uh, it's often a catalytic time in life where a lot of change happens and a lot of people make decisions that end up shaping the rest of their lives. And for me, I look back at my middle school years, and they were extremely awkward, and they were challenging. And we, my family, moved from one neighborhood and one part of town to another part of town when I was 12 years old. And, and that was traumatic because there involved a loss of friends, and you're already awkward, and you have a squeaky voice, and you still haven't hit a growth spurt yet. Um, and, and you've got acne on your face, and it's like, what's happening to me? My body is changing, puberty. Um, and all those things are going on, and you're like, whoa, what do I do with this? And we moved at that time of my life. And so I had no friends, new neighborhood, new school, new church. The church happened to be a church of, of about 30 people. I was the youth ministry. Yeah, wasn't that special? And they had, they had a youth Sunday, and they would say, um, we need someone to speak. Uh, well, we got one person. So guess who got to speak? I got to speak. So um, it was, I, I remember even getting to speak and giving the worst sermon ever presented in the history of humanity. And uh, people actually stayed the whole time because it lasted about seven minutes. And um, I, I couldn't scare them away that fast. But I remember a lady coming up to me afterwards saying, one day you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life. And I thought, you are crazy as you fill in the blank. Um, there is no way that I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. This is terrifying, and uh, I'm awkward, and uh, no one wants to hear what I have to say. And, and on top of it, you know, going back to that time of my life, uh, being in school was not very much fun. And it's not lost on me the irony that God now has called me to ministry uh, 20 years ago, and now I'm in a public school every week. Uh, it's like what in the world is happening here? Uh, but you guys understand the middle school years. And some of you are like, I'm still in middle school, but most of you are not. 
And you understand that there can be a lot of loss or, or trauma that happens during that time period. And, and from those decisions from 12 to 13 to 14, actually determine and plot out a path that shapes your life. And so for me, uh, there was a lot of messages I believe that weren't true about myself. Uh, I believed that I wasn't significant. I believed that uh, I, I didn't have a lot of value. I believed that I was all alone. I believed that I would have to make life happen. If I didn't do it, if, if I didn't take matters into my own hands, it wouldn't happen. And so I really began to doubt God. And, and I didn't have, like I told you earlier, I didn't have a youth ministry. I was the youth ministry. And so from those, uh, those lies I believed about myself and from out of that loss I experienced in my life of a new neighborhood, new, new friends, no friends, um, new school, n- uh, new, new church with no youth group, there's a lot of negativity that came out of that that plotted a path that led to a lot of up and down and roller coaster type moments for the next probably 10 years of my life from about 12 to 22. And the decisions I made through high school and through college were quite often really questionable because I was trying to, uh, to fill a void that I wasn't taking to God. And so I, I know that a lot of you, when you talk about or you think about going back to middle school, you understand what I'm talking about. It feels pretty horrific. It's like, no, I don't want to think about that. But there, there is even purpose in that because God used that pain in my life to ultimately get me to where I was going, to be another voice uh, for the next generation and to help them frame the pain of what they're going to experience as a middle and high schooler. And, and I will tell you, and you guys I think would agree with this, that being a middle and high school student now is probably more challenging than it ever has been. You're exposed to more information you know more than you've ever known in the history of the world because you can just find it on your phone or, or any, any computer. And yet you have little experience to know how to deal with that information that you have access to. So I tell you all that this morning to say that we all have painful moments and seasons we can look back on. And maybe for you, you were like, you were crushing it in middle school. Maybe you were like the guy who was already 6'5 and, and dunking a basketball in 8th grade. Uh, more power to you. That's great. But uh, I don't think that was most of us. Uh, but you would say, you know what, maybe your moment of pain doesn't really go back to that point. But there's another point in life where maybe you had, you had something happen in a marriage. Or maybe you had something happen with your kids. Or, or that job, that dream job you thought was a dream job, ended up, you ended up losing it. Or maybe with your finances, you were at one level and then a few circumstances happened and you weren't anymore. And, and, and you guys, you can fill in the blank to whatever pain you've experienced. You've all had painful moments. And what we do with those painful moments, as we've discovered with the story of Joseph, and we'll continue to sto- discover the story of Joseph, determines a lot about where we end up. And, and if you haven't been with us over the last three weeks, we've been talking about living the dream. And we talked about Joseph and back in the, the Old Testament. In the, you read the book of Genesis, you'll find him toward the end of that book, and you'll see his story laid out for us. And it's a, it's a, it's a crazy story. Uh, here's a guy who at 17 years old was thrown into a pit, uh, a pit, a deep pit, left to die by his 10 brothers because they were jealous and, and Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, our lead pastor in Kernersville, the first week of this series, talked about having oh pit moments. I know some of you will never forget that. 
I know some of you, I've heard some of you walk around and actually say, oh, pit. Um, but we have oh, pit moments, and, jo- and Jonathan talked about that in week one of these se- this series. And one of the things I really liked about that and, is that he also made this, this statement that snapshots or screenshots can't tell the rest of the story. And so no matter where we are, whether we're in middle school experiencing pain or we're 45 experiencing pain or wherever we might be in life, where we are now doesn't have to tell the end of the story. It doesn't tell the end of the story. And that gives me and that gives you a lot of hope. And so we talked about Joseph being in the pit. We talked about Joseph being sold into slavery, being sold to slave traders and being sold to a guy named Potiphar, which is an interesting name. And then Potiphar's wife came and hit on Joseph and, and, and tried to seduce him. We talked about that, and, and Joseph resisted her, uh, her charms. And then, then she turns around and accuses him of rape because he doesn't cave in. And so then he's thrown into prison unjustly. And then in prison, he interprets dreams for these guys. And one gets back to the position where he used to be. He used to have this position of power with Pharaoh. And he says, don't forget me, don't forget me. And the guy goes back to Pharaoh and he forgets him. And he's in prison for this time. But then finally the guy remembers that Joseph can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh has dreams, the most powerful person in the world. And so Joseph goes and, and talks to Pharaoh and interprets his dreams. And Pharaoh says, wow, we see incredible things in you, Joseph. And so we're going to promote you to being the number two guy in and, and Egypt and really the second most powerful guy in that world. And Joseph uh, had incredible abilities and leadership and he saw that through these dreams that Pharaoh had that there was going to be seven years of plenty and there was going to be seven years of famine. And so they decided, hey, we're going to put you in charge of, of this food program to save up so that when the famine comes, we're going to be prepared for the famine. And for Joseph, he He had all these dark years, right? And now he's finally on top of the world. And this would be like a great place in the story to say the end, right? Just just to walk on out. And then we tack on the fact that Joseph met a nice Egyptian girl who wasn't trying to just seduce him, but one he actually wanted to marry. And he meets this Egyptian girl. And then they have kids. And they have kids and they name them names for specific purposes. And I'm going to pick up my Bible back here. Oh, my teaching display. I thought this was, I thought this was out. My bad, y'all. I'm going to use my teaching display right up here. All right. Very good. I want to give it up for the tech team. Good job, y'all. So uh, we didn't think this was going to be working earlier. They got it working, and this is fantastic. So this is what we see in Genesis 41, 51. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. Uh, which, I don't know, have you ever thought about naming your kid Manasseh? Probably not. Um, For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. So he names his first kid to say, you know what? I've processed the past. Those dark days, those dark years, I've processed them. They're over, they're done with, and I've now forgotten and I've moved on. And then he has another kid. And, and we see in the next verse that Joseph named his second son. This is a really special name. Ephraim. You should probably name your kid this. this. This is good right here. God has made me fruitful. Right? That's a good thing. In this land of my grief. And so he's acknowledging that, hey, I've had super highs and tremendous lows. And all this 
God has taken care of me. God has been faithful. He's got me to a position where I could, where I could do some incredible things to save lives of the people of Egypt. And so you would think, man, this would be a great place to end the story, God. He, he's overcome all this adversity. And a lot of you today, have you, as you've already thought about some of the most painful moments in your life, you've gotten past a lot of those. And, and you see yourself on the other side of that. And you're like, wow, man, this is, this is great. But we know your story isn't over. And Joseph's story wasn't over either. Because back in Canaan, where he came from, his father, Jacob, was back there with the ten brothers. And they were starving too. And there was a big famine in the land. And, and so Jacob is like, okay, they got food in Egypt. We don't have food here. So I'm going to send my, bro- my sons, which were Joseph's brothers, that you know, they thought Joseph was dead. I'm going to send them to Egypt to go get food. And we've picked this up here in Genesis chapter uh, 42.1. But this is the first thing that Jacob says to the ten brothers. Why are you staying around looking at one another? Now, have you ever said that to your kid if, you have, if you're a parent? Yeah. Why, why are you just standing there? Like, you, are, are you ever just see them go around the house and they're just making messes and wreaking havoc? And, and it's like, don't, don't you see this plate that you, don't, don't you see these clothes on the floor? Why are you just standing there? Do something. Take initiative. And I feel like in this moment that Jacob is looking at these 10 bozos and he's going, bozo, do you see? And they're like, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, dad, what do you want us to do? I can, just say, I, just, I can see this being a funny moment. Verse 2, this is what he does. I've heard there is food or grain in Egypt, so go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. He's like, we're not going to live. We, we've got this big family. We've got to feed them. You've got to go to Egypt. And so they pack everything up, and the brothers head to Egypt. And I can only imagine what that trip was like with those 10. Can you? I mean, family trips, are, they're pretty fun, right? 10 brothers on a family trip. Anyway, so they, they ride up on their camels, and they, they go up to Egypt. And they get there, and, and can you just imagine them walking up? Because Joseph is in, food, in charge of the food program, and Joseph sees them. And Joseph, thinking that, hey, my story has been finished. I know the purpose I've been sent to Egypt for. He's thinking it's all over. He sees him. What do you think's happening in his stomach? I, I think it was a, a giant pit formed in his stomach. I think his palms got sweaty. I think all the nerves were, were, were kicking in and all the memories of what had happened over the last 20 years uh, are, are, are flooding back in his mind like a movie. And, and if this, this were a place in the movie, this is where the music would change. You guys know what I'm talking about. And these brothers are walking up and Joseph's like, I recognize them. Well, they recognize me. And they get there, and, and they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph, I mean, he's probably even thinking, do I need to rename my kids? Because I got grief again. But 
In this situation, Joseph then decides to have this elaborate back and forth with his brothers as he decides what to do. And we're not going to go through all that today, but if you read Genesis 42, 43, and 44, you will see this elaborate back and forth between Joseph and his brothers. And finally, in chapter 45, he can't take it anymore. Have you ever been holding something in so long, just stuffing it down, stuffing it down, whether it be your pain or whatever, that you just can't hold it back anymore? And finally, it just explodes. Joseph has one of these moments in Genesis chapter 45, verse 3, where his emotion explodes in this moment in front of his 10 brothers. And this is what happens right here. He says, I am Joseph. It's my father still alive. And he's weeping and he's crying. And his brothers were speechless. They got the pit in the stomach, the sweaty hands, the dry mouth. And they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Now, before I go any further, I can see Joseph and I can see him, finally this emotion just bursting out. But on the other side of things for the brothers, there's, there's crickets. I'm, I can imagine on their side, they, they can't speak. And there's this long, just quietness on their side of, oh my gosh. You ever been there? What is going to happen? The most powerful person that we have ever met, the most powerful person besides Pharaoh, is the one that we've treated the worst. And now he has all the power in this room to squash us like little bugs. And he has every right to. And Joseph follows that up, probably recognizing a little bit. And, and, he, and I can imagine him calming down. And I can see him getting down to a whisper where he says, please, come closer. I could see him being extremely gentle and tender in that moment. Please come closer. Recognizing that the ten of them are going, oh my gosh, he is going to destroy us. And so they came closer. I imagine trembling. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. The brothers are now having their old pit moment. What are we going to do with this? What is he going to do? He seems nice, but I don't know. So then he follows up with these four verses, and I hope you catch a common theme here. Don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. How does someone do that? Like, you stole, you stole my family. You took care of my family away from me. You moved me to another place. I didn't want to go there. How does someone do this? It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your 
lives. And then in verse 6, he goes on to say, The famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And then in verse 7, he says, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. To preserve many survivors. And he says, so it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. God sent me here. He said it three different ways, three different times. God sent me here. Why? To save lives. God sent me here to save lives. And what I really pull from this is that Joseph was able to see a bigger picture with his pain. That Joseph was able to see a bigger picture with his pain. He wasn't stuck in the moment. He wasn't stuck on the screenshot. He wasn't stuck on the snapshot in time. He saw a bigger picture with his pain. And I don't know where you are today with whatever you may be struggling with and whatever pain you've had and whatever pain you're experiencing. But God wants you to look at the story of Joseph to help frame your pain, to help propel you and move you forward to the best life possible. And what we learn when we look at the story of Joseph is that God is faithful even when you don't feel it. That God is faithful even when you don't feel it. His faithfulness is not tied to your emotional state. When I was 12 years old and we had moved and I had, had the school was all different and the youth group was gone and, and my parents, they were working a lot and trying to take care of us and there was no leaders in my life to, to frame circumstances for me. God was faithful. I just didn't feel it. And what I, I've understood as time has passed, and I can look back and have the benefit of looking back in time, is that God used that as a catalyst in my life to drive me to give away and, and offer 19 years of my life to invest in the next generation. And I have no regrets. I spent two years as a volunteer youth leader. I spent 19 years as a youth pastor. And I have no regrets. But God did that and sent me there. Also sent me where he did when I was 12. I had to experience the pain in order to get really the prize of being able to do what God called me to do. And that's the case for you as well. So, so where has God sent you? Why, why has God placed you where you are right now presently? To do what you're doing. To ultimately to save lives. Why? Who? All the people around you are there for a purpose and for a reason. And, and I love Joseph and I love this story because even here it's not over. Because he ends up moving Jacob and, and, and all his brothers to Egypt. And, and they're enjoying the life in Egypt. And then Jacob dies. And guess what the brothers think? They think, oh, 
This is going to be our oh pit moment. Because now dad is dead. And he won't know about it if Joseph does something to us. I mean, you, you all know when, when you're younger and you have brothers and sisters, when mom and dad go away, big brother or big sister can do some bad things. I know how it works. I was a big brother. But Joseph, understanding a bigger picture with his pain, responds in the same way in Genesis 50, 20. He says, hey, you guys, you intended to harm me by throwing me in the pit, by selling me into slavery, but God intended it for good and to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What he said essentially for the very fourth time, not the first time, not the second time, not the third time, but the fourth time is God sent me here. God placed me here to save and preserve lives. And God has placed you wherever you are to save and preserve lives no matter what the past or the present pain is. But you gotta think big picture. There's more happening than what you see. And there's more gonna ha- that, that's gonna happen tomorrow than what's happening today. Keep on moving forward. Sometimes you gotta reach back in order to move forward. Joseph is a great example of that. And I love these words from the New Testament, flipping forward to the New Testament. And, and a guy named Paul, who wrote more books than anybody in the Bible, wrote this in the New Testament about this whole idea of God being at work in Romans 8, 28. But he writes this, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We don't get to really pick or choose our stories. But God is working things for the good of those who love him. What a compelling reason to love God, to receive him as your savior. And if you haven't taken that step, I wanna challenge you to do it. Because God, God is weaving a story even in your life now, ultimately drawing you to him because you were made for him. See, God, he's faithful even when we don't feel it. And when we see the story of Joseph, we see that. So, so what's next for you? What, what's something you can practically do with what we've talked about in this series with Joseph, and particularly today? Well, I have four things I want to throw out to you. And the, the first one of these things is process your pain with others. To process your pain with others. A lot of times when we experience pain in our lives, it feels shameful. None of us want to feel weak. We want to feel strong, we feel shameful, and so we, we shove it down and we hide it. But it's only in processing our pain with others that we begin to get a different perspective. And my question is, who has God placed in your life who is wise that can be in that circle of people you process your pain with, both your past and your present pain, to help you and propel you into the future of being the best person, living the best life that God created you to live? And then secondly, remember where God has been faithful in the past. Remember where God has been faithful in the past. I challenge you to write it down as you look back. So often when we look back in the past, we're like, wow, I don't know how that worked out, but it did. I don't know how we made, uh, made that payment. I don't know how we were able to, to get by financially, but we did. God is 
is faithful even when we don't feel it. Remember where he's been faithful in the past. Write it down. And then, trust God's purpose in your pain. Remember, there's a, a bigger picture. Trust God's purpose in your pain. Where do you need to trust God right now? It's going to be wherever your present pain is or your past pain. And lastly, think big picture with it. Think big picture with your pain. Goals goes back to who? Receiving love of Jesus is part of it, but sharing is the other piece. Out of your pain, who is God placed in your life, in your family, in your, in your circle, uh, at work, in your neighborhood, in your church, to be able to help with your pain? Or, or to help them because of the pain you've experienced? Because God never intends to waste a hurt. Every hurt you've experienced can be redeemed for his good, no matter how bad or sinister it is. And that's the kind of God we serve and worship. Think big picture. Who? And oftentimes, this is where you ultimately are being guided and directed into serving. For me, I had great pain as a middle schooler. And so God ultimately directed me. My who ended up being the next generation. And now it's tra translated to, I still get to do that with, with so many people just on a different scale. Who is the people that God has placed in your life to help? Because see, God has sent you where you are. He's taking you on the journey he's taking you on to save many lives. Who is it for you? And I want to I end with this thought, that God is faithful even when we don't feel it. Jesus experienced the worst thing that could happen to anyone, taking on the sins of the world, dying on a cross, feeling separation from his heavenly Father. But on the other side of it, was a glorious resurrection. Was a resurrection that has changed the course of history. And ultimately brings you and brings me the opportunity to actually receive love and to receive salvation. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because Jesus didn't stay dead. See, God is faithful even when you don't feel it. And I don't know what the next step is for you. I don't know who your who is. But there's always a who behind your pain. And I want to challenge you to take that next step, whatever it is for you. Right now, I'd love to pray with you. God, we thank you for this incredible group of people that are here today. We thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you that he didn't in the story or that you didn't in the story after he got married and had kids, but God, you wanted to show your faithfulness and your forgiveness through his life with his brothers. We thank you that we can take so many principles from that, but God, most importantly, we thank you that you were able to help him to see a bigger picture and purpose with his pain. And we thank you, God, for your faithfulness, even when we don't feel it. So I pray that for wherever we are as a Summit Church Jamestown 
today that you would help us take that next step. We love you. We thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.